0: Father, how good it is for us to make promises to each other and to you because you are the original promise maker and promise keeper. How right it is for us to consecrate our lives to you because we belong to you. Your claim is upon our whole lives. You knit us together in our mother's womb. What could be more dangerous than for us to deny that claim? And what could be more prudent than for us to yield our lives to you? You love us and you are all wise and powerful. Open up your word to us today, O God, that we might be reminded of what you've said and what you've done and to see even clearer than we have before how to yield what you're actually doing in our midst today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and for his sake, amen. Our God presents himself to us in Holy Scripture as one who does not change. Our God is not developing a personality. He's not ruling this world that he made by trial and error. He's not learning. He's the same. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that communicates to us, among other things, is that our God is faithful to Himself in all that He does, in all that He says. And what that means is that we can count on Him to always act with integrity according to his own holy and loving nature. And yet this God who never changes in that way is a God who made history. It has pleased God to create history, time and space. And in time and space, God says and does certain things at a given time, and then he does a new thing at another time. He does what is appropriate to accomplish all that he has purposed for the world that he has made and for our lives. He, through his son, sometimes reprimands his people when they do not recognize the signs of the times. What's appropriate now? What God is up to now? What stage of redemption that we're in? And when we turn to Holy Scripture, we find the recounting of an incredible history, a great adventure that God has launched us on. And when we turn to the passage for today in Luke 24, it's one of many between times that we see depicted in Holy Scripture. We're always living in a between time, between expulsion from the Garden of Eden and the call of Abraham, between the call of Abraham and bondage in Egypt, between the Babylonian captivity and the restoration, between the birth of Jesus and his death on the cross we're living in a between time now. We're living between the ascension of Jesus and his return. We live in a particular era of God's activity and it's very important for us to recognize that and recognize the special responsibilities and opportunities that belong to our particular juncture in history. The passage that we're going to look at today in uh, Luke 24, deals with one of the shorter between times that we have in Holy Scripture. Special, unique. It's the time between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. During that 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus appears to his followers in bodily form several times and for the last time that he will do that in any sustained way before he returns to the earth again. One of those appearances are recorded in Luke 24. In fact, two are. Let's read something about this first appearance. Luke 24, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that had, they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember, a very important word in the Bible. Remember, one of God's most frequent reprimands of his children is that they forget. And so these angels say, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to the rest. Then we read in verse 13, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see and he jesus said to them "O foolish ones And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, Jesus, acted as if he were going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. While he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, as he had at the Lord's Supper when he presided at the Passover. And it says their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. It would be difficult to exaggerate the importance of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Together with his resurrection from the dead, Its foundational purpose in our faith, in our lives, in the world. It is appropriate that we mark our calendars and divide our calendars according to this time of these special events before Christ and in the year of our Lord. Because it's the pivotal turning point of history. Without the cross and the resurrection, there's no gospel of Jesus Christ and there's no hope for any of us beyond this world that we're living in now, which the Bible calls correctly a veil of tears, a valley of tears. It's in the cross that forgiveness of sins is secured for us who have transgressed the law of our Creator It's in the cross that it becomes possible for the breach that we have created between us and our good God can be repaired and we can be brought back to Him. It's in the cross that it becomes possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. It's in the cross that it becomes possible for us to have eternal life. But the cross has that significance not by itself but along with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then there would be no good news of the gospel and we would yet be, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we would still be in our sins and we would have no hope. Because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says The death of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ as the Son of God was declared. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God in the resurrection. This means that by raising Jesus from the dead, God the Father vindicates everything that Jesus ever said and did and vindicates what His Word teaches us was achieved When Jesus was on the cross. He was not only displaying his willingness to sacrifice for sinners. He was actually closing the breach between us sinners and a holy God. And preparing for other great blessings that he would heap upon us later. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God in Jesus is killing death. There was a famous book written many years ago called The Death of Death in the Cross of Jesus Christ. He's taking on the great enemy that we provoked upon ourselves when we rebelled against him. And in the resurrection, God shows that death itself is no barrier to his love for us. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see not only that that God in Jesus Christ can overcome death, but that Jesus himself has the keys to death. It's not just that the Son of God can die and rise, but he's got the keys. He showed he had the keys when he said to the little girl who had died before he went to the cross, and he said to her, they said, "'She's dead. Don't trouble the family.'" And he said, she's just asleep. You see, when Jesus is around, dead people are just asleep if he addresses them. And he addressed her. And he said, Talitha, arise. And she did. And he took her in his arms and handed her to her parents. He said to Lazarus, come forth. And then my favorite use of the keys by Jesus is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's only recorded there. I call it the thriller passage, for those of you who know Michael Jackson's video, The Thriller, where the zombies are dancing. It's a strange reference, but I like it. In Matthew's Gospel, an earthquake occurs while Jesus is on the cross, and we're told that there were tombs broken open, and saints of old came up out of the graves and were seen by many in Jerusalem. The resurrection is not just about Jesus. It's about us. It's about the resurrection from the dead that awaits us and all who belong to Jesus. This is a very personal uh, gospel truth to me. Because there was a time when I was running from the Lord. And I was dancing with the devil, really. I was an intravenous drug user. And I really had just turned my back on God. And my mother, who was 36 years of age, she died. I was 16 and a half. That's back when I had halves. I miss those days. (laughs) And I was angry at God. How could I worship a God who could allow a 16 and a half year old to lose his 36 year old mother? But I remembered what I'd been taught since I was a child. I'd been taught, among many other things, that our God raises the dead. That would be good news. Good news that's it's it's, it's beyond forgiveness for my sins. I want that. I want it all in fact. We're promised new bodies. This is the promise that God can raise the dead. And give those back to us who we've lost in Jesus. My mother left a few artifacts behind. I have an old grainy film of my mother when she was alive. And I have some things that she wrote and I have a few photographs of her. And I cling to those. And you probably have artifacts of people that you've lost, or people who are far away, they're still alive, but they're separated from you. They're deployed in the military. They're working in another country. Or they're just on the other side of Birmingham and you never see them, so you have to cling to whatever you have. But if my mother walked through those doors right now, I wouldn't think about the artifacts. I would just run to her and throw my arms around her and hug her Kiss her and hold her close. That's what I would do. And yet, Jesus, in this 40 day and 40 night window in which He's going to appear to His followers for the express purpose of their knowing that He's alive, He joins these followers who are depressed because He's died and He's gone and they thought He was the Messiah. And instead of revealing himself to them, the Bible says he keeps them from recognizing him. And he just engages them in conversation. How strange is that? We expect him to throw a party. Jesus was a partier, you know. John the Baptist, he was the monk. He was the ascetic. He was the stick in the mud. He lived in the desert. He ate wild honey and locusts and didn't dress well and he was dirty. But not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus partied, he was accused of being a glutton, he was accused of being a wine-bibber. He said to them one time, no matter what we do, you reject us. But you would think there's never been an occurrence more worthy of a party than the death and resurrection of Jesus. There ought to be a barbecue. If if there's a time to turn water to wine, now is the time. And instead, he engages them in conversation like he's preparing them to be good at Bible trivia. He says, what's going on in Jerusalem? And he says, remember what I said. The angels question them. Remember what I said. And then Jesus conducts a Bible study. Now, I love the Bible. The Bible is the word of the living God. Make no mistake about it. And Jesus believed that too. His Bible was the Old Testament. And he was accused of being a bad Jew sometimes. And the, the scriptures were thrown in his face. Even the devil threw the scriptures in his face. And Jesus never said when that happened, well, who cares about the Bible? Look at these miracles I'm doing. Forget that. That's all in the past. No, no. Jesus staked his claim on the Bible. He said, you read those those." works of Moses and the prophets and you think in them you have life he said they're about me if you understood and loved the bible that you flash in my face you would love me and you wouldn't be trying to kill me he staked his claim on the bible they speak about me but the bible is not what we worship The Bible is not the fourth person of a divine quadrinity. The Bible speaks about realities. It speaks about the creation of the world. Genesis 1 through 3 is not the creation of the world. It speaks about the creation of the world. The account of the parting of the Red Sea is not the parting of the Red Sea. It bears witness to the parting of the Red Sea. The same with Jesus' virgin birth, with His sinless life, with His miracles, with His cross, with His resurrection. And when we turn to the road to Emmaus passage in Luke 24, the cross has occurred. The resurrection has occurred. These all speak of Jesus. Well, Jesus is there. He's there. Why would It would be like my mother showing up and saying, don't touch me, don't recognize me, I'm here. Don't recognize me and let's watch an old film of me. Let's get out the artifacts. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? He's preparing his followers for the way he is going to make himself present to them when he ascends to the Father. You know, Jesus said to them, I'm going to go away and you're going to see me. And then you're not going to see me. And then you're going to see me. And this is one of those windows of time. He knew he was going to go away and he would be arrested and he would be, uh, he would be beaten and they would not see him. And then they would see him on the cross. And then they wouldn't see him when he would be in the place of the dead, Hades. And then they would see him before he ascended. But then he would be gone to return again someday in bodily form. And he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to make the Father and the Son present to you. Because we're going to make, I and my Father are going to make our home inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, though, gets in on this Bible study fixation because what are we told that the Holy Spirit is going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus said and did. Jesus is withholding His identity to model for them the way in which He makes Himself present. Language is important that way. We often put down words. Well, it's not what you you say, it's what you do. And we get that. There can be a hypocrisy. If you speak one way but live another way, it creates a gap between your words and what you do. And so it undermines the credibility of what you say. But make no mistake about it, friends. With God, that's not true. His words and his deeds mesh together. And words are themselves deeds. One of his titles is that he's the word of the living God. The word of God is necessary to knowing God. We realize this power of language. Don't forget God invented language. We realize this too sometimes when we're in conversation with each other, don't we? You'll be talking to someone and you're both right there. But one of the Speakers will say, well, don't you remember what I said? Or don't you remember what I wrote? You see, there's no real separation between who we are and the words we have spoken and the deeds we have done in the past which are accessible to us through language about them. God has made it be this way, that through the Word and the Spirit, We come to actually know Jesus. Now, this is is not teaching us that Jesus' bodily presence doesn't matter because that's going to come. We are going to be together with him bodily, but not now. We're living in the between time. It's interesting that after this strange episode and Jesus reveals himself to them briefly and they recognize him and vanishes from their sight, he reappears And in the last verses of Luke, he does sort of what seems to us, perhaps, to be more appropriate. He shows himself to them. Touch me. They thought they'd seen a ghost. He said, ghosts don't have flesh and bone like I do. And then he had a barbecue. He cooked and they ate. It probably was not pork. I mean, he was a Jew. You know, Jesus was a Jew. He never converted. He never became a Christian. It's odd and strange, but... It's, it's a fact. I mean, he's the Jewish Messiah. And so when we convert, we become the true children of Abraham, the Bible says. We become part of the true Israel. And so, yes, he did need to make sure they identified him. But he was forecasting what he was about to do. Sometimes we like to say things like, you know, it's it's Jesus' cross and resurrection. That's all that matters. Well, no. That matters essentially and fundamentally in the way it matters. But other things matter too. We're not living in the time between his birth and his death. Or between his resurrection and his ascension. We're living in this new time that has been called the age of the spirit. Or maybe even more appropriately, the age of the church. Jesus told us what he was going to do next after he finished atoning for our sins and getting the keys to death. He told us what he's going to do. What is the will of God for our lives? We need to get in sync with what God is doing. And he told us what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And when we look to Acts chapter 2, we see that the, his followers waited at Jerusalem. They were empowered by the Spirit. Peter preached the first sermon. And, he, and there were over 3,000 saved. And the church began. And it was characterized by four devotions. They were devoted to the breaking of bread with one another. Which really means the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to prayer. And they were devoted to the fellowship itself. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Jesus knew that he was going to gather the church and build the church around the word of God and the fellowship and the prayer going forward to do the next thing he came to do. And that is to have this peculiar people for himself who are incorporated into the body of Jesus to make a family of God. There's no gospel of Jesus Christ without the church. When we go out and witness, we're not just seeking to see people move from liability to hell and death and become heirs of eternal life. We are doing that, and I don't minimize it at all. But we're going out there as instruments of God to gather them into our family where He makes us the brothers and sisters of Jesus and the siblings and children before our Heavenly Father. And so, do you want to know Jesus? I do. Let's seek Him where He may be found in the church. Through His Word as we are gathered around and devoted to the Word of God. Devoted to the fellowship and prayer. And we'll know Him. And we'll be deployed by Him as witnesses. That He can gather more into the church to know Him as well. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We're reminded O oh God. That there is no path to you. Apart from your word. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. To enlighten us. To understand that word. And to empower us. To walk in your ways. And there's no path to knowing you. Apart from the church you're building. Thank you for telling us this, Lord, for gathering us into your family. Empower us now and enlighten our minds that we might embrace the good things that cost so much from you to purchase for us. And so let us, Lord, enjoy to the full your presence among us until we see you face to face again when the new era of the new heaven and the new earth is inaugurated. In the name of Jesus we pray, and for his sake, amen.